Well, I, I trust that you've enjoyed the worship this morning and the ability just to open up your heart to God. And we want to open up our hearts now to God through his word. And so let's turn to Psalm 42. Psalm 42, and um, I know that you've enjoyed the, the last two Sundays, even though uh, I wasn't here to enjoy it with you, uh, with Dr. Paul and I Groot. And of course, last week, uh, Jeremy um, pinch hit for me uh, from out of East Campus. He did a, a marvelous job, don't you think? Did a great job. And, um, and I told him that, and I said, now you need to cut it out. And uh, I need to get well fast, you know, good preaching like that. And so we've been in a series of Psalms, and on the Psalms, basically what we've been doing is this. We've been challenging you to read through a Psalm every single day, and we even have a devotional for you uh, by our staff, one of our staff members, every day uh, on Facebook. And then on Sunday, we come back and preach on one of those passages. Now, Psalm 42 is very precious to me. Uh, God has ministered to me um, through this psalm for many, many years, ever since my college days. And it's really based on overcoming discouragement in our life. And in Psalm 42, we understand that there's not a person here that has not gone through some kind of discouragement in their life. We live with it every day. And when you first are a believer and something comes upon you and you think, wow, you know, I, I can't believe I'm going through all this. Where is God in all this? It surprises you. It shocks you. But nevertheless, we need to understand that every believer really goes through this. The disappointments, sometimes even the despair. Um, Martin Luther, one of the reformers, said this. For more than a week, talking about his own personal testimony, I was close to the gates of death and hell. I trembled in all my members. Christ was wholly lost. I was shaken by desperation. And so if a man like that will go through disappointment and discouragement in life, we can too. Now, when we're talking about discouragement, let me just define it real quickly. It really just means, by definition, a lack of courage. A lack of courage to face the problems and the adversities and really life that you're about to have to face. And so, as we're looking at this, we understand that it means that you don't have the spiritual fortitude. Something's missing in your energy and your hope to cause you to say, I just don't think I have the courage to, to step up to the plate and do what needs to be done. Now, as we look at Psalm 42, we understand here is a man that really identifies with where we sometimes are. I believe it's David. It says the, the, the songs of Korah, but it really means that these songs were presented to the sons of Korah who were musicians. And I believe that because the sons of Korah lived back in the days of David, David took this psalm in words, gave it to the sons of Korah, and they put it to music, and they used it uh, in their worship services. And here was a man uh, in Psalm 42, David, who was not only going through some tough times, as I believe is the time that Absalom, his son, was chasing him, and he was run out of his kingdom. He was living in the caves, living in the wilderness, and now he's wondering, what in the world is God, God are you doing in my life? But not only that... But we're going to read the psalm. We're going to find out he just feels like God has abandoned him. So it's not just that he has problems. It's just that he has problems and he doesn't really know where God is in all this. It's not that he's doubting God. 
Remember, we're talking about spiritual vertigo at different places, and we said that physical vertigo has to do with your eyes not being able to, or your brain can't process what your eyes are seeing. Therefore, you get kind of dizzy and disoriented. Spiritual vertigo is when your faith can't process what you see, hear, or experience. In other words, you believe the Bible, you believe God, you believe God has something for you, but in reality, as you see life unfold before you, you just, you just can't see the correlation between the two. And so as we look at this, I want us to see the condition that we find ourselves in sometimes and why it happens. And then I want to give you five steps on how to overcome discouragement in our life. Now, please keep in mind, I, I am not one of those steps kind of guy. I realize that most of the time in the Bible, you don't have five steps. You don't have seven steps, six steps to success, and all this kind of stuff. But in this passage, you really kind of do have five steps that David took to overcome his disappointment and his discouragement in life. So first of all, I want us to find, first of all, our condition. Beginning in verse 1, it says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, the deer here in this passage is David, and the dry brook is God. And the picture is, is that here's a deer panting. Now, a deer, I'm not saying, is the smartest animal in the woods, but he's not the dumbest either. And he knows when he's going to begin to need water, and he goes toward that water. Now, here's a deer that is panting now because he's come to the dry brook, or come to the brook, and it's dry. And so the analogy here is that David is the deer, the dry brook is God. Then he asks the question, my soul thirsts for God, when shall I come and appear before God? Now, this word appear in the original Hebrew means face to face. Now, that's the title of our series of messages here in, in the book of Psalms. It means face-to-face. When, when shall I come and sense and feel the presence of God really in my life? Now, notice what the feelings he's going through here. Look with me, um, beginning of verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. Has nothing to eat but his tears. While I say to them all day long, where is your God? These things I remember, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go along with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with a voice of joy and thanksgiving and multitude and keeping festival. He says, look, I used to be the worship leader. I used to be the king leading people out into worship. And now he finds in verse 7, verse 6, he's out in the mountain range somewhere. And look in verse 5. Why are you in despair? Notice the condition here. Despair. He's there in a cave. They're out in the woods, the wilderness somewhere. Absalom, his son, is chasing him. He can't go back to the kingdom and kill his own son. He doesn't want to. And yet he can't take over the kingdom from there. He's there with his few mighty men. And he's thinking to himself, how in the world did I get myself into this predicament? Why in, why, is, why in the world is, does God not intervene for me in some way? This word despair means an utter loss of hope. It gives the idea of animals crouching in the corner or behind a tree waiting for you. And he, he feels like his problems and everything that he's going through in life is going to pounce on him just at any time and, and just kill him, just destroy him. And he goes on to say, why have you become disturbed? This, is, this, is, this word really has an emotional illness to it. 
He says, I'm, I'm ill, I'm, I'm so emotional. I feel so abandoned. I feel ill. So why the confusion? Look with me in verse six. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you in the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon and Mount Miser. How is he feeling? He's feeling that everything's coming down upon him. Look in verse seven. Deep calls to deep and the sound of your waterfalls. Now here's the picture. He's saying, I went to the brook and I was panting after God and the brook was dry. But on the other hand, I hear the waterfalls. And the waterfalls are not something of beauty. The waterfalls are coming over him. He feels drowning in the waterfall. Do you feel that way sometimes? That you feel like the things that you're going through in life is, are kind of drowning you? You know, I'm convinced that we're really never made to maybe handle the stress that we're under today. You know, the, the stress on the job. Here it is. It used to be able to send a, what, a snail mail. And you write out a letter, you put it in the mail, put a, put a stamp on it, put it in the mail. And about a week later, you're going to get a response, right? But what, what about today? You send an email, and the person you send an email to, you really expect somebody to answer that email by the end of the day. If somebody sends you something, they expect your answer by the end of the day. So you work, 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 work. Then there's soccer practice, season changes, basketball practice, then baseball practice, then football practice. And then all the things that our children are doing today, all the way through high school, and you think to yourself, man, I just, I, 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 I'm just going out there catching myself, running into myself almost every day. What's going on in my life? We were never expected to run at that kind of pace. I mean, I look at David out in the wilderness, not now, but when he was younger, keeping the sheep. The sheep didn't argue with him. They didn't push back. You know, you know, the farmer in America, you know, he goes and he doesn't argue with the plant or the cow or the pig. We were meant to run probably on a lot less lesser stress scale than we're running at and the pace that we're going at today. But the feeling is, the condition here is one of being overwhelmed, of hopelessness, and a feeling that you don't have the resources to really meet the challenges that you're facing today, and you feel in all of it kind of abandoned a little bit by God. God, you, you know, if you were really loving me and you really cared for me, you could come to, to rescue me. You could help me in this situation. And that's how David was feeling as well. It was like a, a person who experiences his first love at salvation. He receives Christ into his heart and or her heart and everything's great everything's wonderful then adversity begins to come and just sort of kills that feeling of oneness that we have with God well here's the condition what about the counsel there's five things that I want you to notice and this might be a very practical message five things I want you to notice that David did in order to overcome the discouragement in his own life number one Pour out your soul to God. And really, this is the, really the whole prayer. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. When shall I come and appear before my God? My tears have been my, my, my uh, food day and night. And he's saying to himself, I'm, I'm now pouring out my heart to the Lord. Now, there's no question David was in the same situation that you and I find ourselves in. We just feel like, God, you're not answering my prayers, so why, why even pray? Some of you feel like you're not getting anything from reading the Bible. You know, you're going through the Psalms, and all this other stuff and junk in your life is just so overpowering in your life. Just don't, don't feel like you're getting anything out of the Bible. 
You don't feel like you're getting anything out of church. You know, you come and, and you think, wow, you know, that was good information, but I don't know if I'm inspired. And you go back and, and you're hurting just as bad as when you came. And the ten- tendency is, I'm going to forget the whole thing. I'm going to stop praying. I'm going to stop reading the Bible. I'm going to stop going to church. But dear friend, that's not, that's not the answer. It's not the answer at all. In fact, the, the more you, you get into a spiritual slump, the harder you need to work really in coming out of it. And you say, well, is this one of those sermons, Pastor, where you say, okay, now here's the cure. You know, just go read the Bible some more and pray some more and go to church some more. Is that all there is to it? Well, no. Well, well, yes. You know, sometimes when you're not getting anything out of the Word, that's something maybe you ought to just tell God. When you're not getting anything out of your prayer life, Maybe you ought to go to God and just tell him that. God, I'm not getting anything out of it. And what about church? You know, one of the things about this this passage, as you you notice, he says that uh, I remember pouring out my soul, being leading the procession of the house of God with a voice of joy and thanksgiving and a multitude and keeping thanksgiving. He was talking here in verse 4 about the wonderful times that he had worshiping the Lord. He says, now I'm just out in the mountain range somewhere. I'm away from the temple, away from God. You know, I just don't know. You see, you and I were meant for fellowship. Even the Trinity of God, as we've said before, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. You ask yourself the question, before God created man, how did he express some of his attributes, like love? How did he love? He loved within himself because of the Trinity of God. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God gives us an example of what we ought to be as believers in Christ. We do need to be a part of that small group. We do need iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You need to be a part of a group that's a spiritual group that's going to help you to grow. And by the way, as a small group today, what, what, an op- what not only an opportunity, but an obligation that we have to come And to make sure our lives are right, because not only are we going to get ministered to, but we are there ministering, whether we know it or not, ministering to other people as well. And they're looking for the same answers that you and I have. You you heard the old story before about the pastor that goes on and visits this guy that's been dropped out of church, dropped out of church for a long time. And um, they're sitting there by the fireplace. And he's talking to him about church. He says, well, pastors, the hypocrites of the church, and, and I don't get anything out of it like I used to, and, and I can worship God just as well in the woods as I can anywhere else. And during the whole conversation, the pastor had taken the, the, um, uh, the poker uh, from the fireplace and begins to poke around at the logs, and he separates one log out from the rest of them. And you know what happens. Before the conversation ended, the log that was separated out burnt out. It was no longer on fire. And he says, that's the way it is when you and I get out of fellowship with everybody else. We're just there alone. And we're there alone getting just burnt out by ourselves. Not only that, but we have no support. And we are open prey to spiritual warfare. And so we find here the very first thing. In fact, the whole psalm's about that. I'm pouring out my soul to God. Well, that's simple enough. But I want you to notice the second thing that we don't often find in the Scripture. And that is, the second thing we need to do is talk back to ourselves. Talk back to yourself. 
Notice in verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? He's, he's now turning and talking to his soul. Before his soul was talking to him, he says, As the deer pants after the water brook, I'm, I'm, I'm so lost without God. When am I going to appear before God? And his soul is talking to him. Now he turns around and he says, I'm talking. Now I'm going to talk to my soul. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Spiritual Depression, says this is a key. And he says what happens is in our life, we begin to to listen to ourselves and we begin to, to pile on the things in our life that really aren't necessarily true. And if they are, they're the negative aspect instead of the positive aspect of things. For example, uh, there you are having a family issue and you don't even, you don't even know what that, as a matter of fact, if I, if I were to ask some of you right now, why are you discouraged? You couldn't tell me. Why couldn't you tell me? Because it's been so long since the original thing happened. Now, all you do is, is talk to, we talk to ourselves and talk to ourselves and pile on things on top of it. And there's layer after layer after layer after layer. And you might call them a pity party, whatever you want to call them, but layer after layer until we finally could come down to what is really going on in our life. But what happens is we're allowing our soul to talk to us. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They are bringing back the problems of yesterday. Have you ever gotten up like that? Well, I can't believe why I didn't get a good night's sleep tonight or last night. I can't believe I'm, I'm, oh, I got that meeting this morning. I've got this going on. I got to take the kids here. I got to do this. The problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is doing the talking? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking back to himself. Why are you cast down on my soul, he asked. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I'm speaking to you. He talks back to himself. This is the idea of the prodigal son. Remember when he was in the hog pen and he was thinking to himself, wow, you know, um, my uh, my dad has a lot better things going on than I've got going on right now. What, What does it say? It starts off that passage by saying he came to himself. He came to himself. Same idea. I'm coming to myself, and now I'm going to start talking back to myself. I'm going to end the spiral going down, 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 negative, 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 hurt, hurt, hurt. Look at me. I mean, I've got every reason to believe. i got every reason to be discouraged and even depressed because of everything. Nope, I'm stopping it. I'm talking back to myself. But then the third thing comes. Because we've got to get down to the problem. We've got to separate the layers out. You resist the enemy. Notice it says in verse 3, where's your God? And then, among other places, verse 10, it says, As a shattering of the bones, my adversaries revile me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? He says, my enemies, they throw it back in my face. Where is your God? Who are the enemy? Who are the enemies here? 
Well, you say, well, uh, it's obviously the enemies back at the palace. He couldn't hear them. Well, it's, it's those men that are around him. They weren't his enemies. They were his friends. It, he's not talking about himself because he's already talked about himself. He's talking here about spiritual warfare. It's amazing to me how many thoughts come into our head and we think they're originating with us. When they're not originating at all with us. And the satanic influence begins to go on in our mind because of what we're going through, and that is spiritual warfare. Here's what 1 Peter says. Be, so, be of sober spirit, be on the alert for your enemy. The adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You say, well, I don't know whether I buy into that or not. Well, let me, let me, let me do this. Let, let me just say this. When I was 12 years old, I came to a place in my life where I understood for the first time, really in a big picture, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, that he rose again on the third day, and I do nothing at all to save myself. I just simply trust him. It's by the grace of God. You say, wow, 12 years old. I bet you gave your heart to Jesus right away, right? No, four years later. And the times that we went to church, and we went sporadically, but when we went, we, we went several weeks in a row. I can remember gripping the back of the pew. Yes, we had pews. And gripping the back of the pew every single Sunday thinking, well, today was going to be my day. I was going to give my heart to Jesus today. And Satan comes along, you can do this next week. What are those people going to say? They think you're already a Christian, which they didn't. I just, again, it's just a lie. I was believing a lie. Satan was telling me that if I, if I went forward, everybody would just say, well, I, I thought you were already saved. I, got, I received Christ when I was 16. I walked forward in my church, and everybody, I mean, my old Sunday school teachers were crying. So I've been praying for you for years. Nobody believed that I was saved. But I kept believing those lies and the struggle. The struggle every Sunday, today's going to be my, not today. I've got to do this. I want to do that. Not today. The same struggle that you and I face during those times of wanting to be saved and wanting Jesus in our heart. It's the same kind of struggle that we have in the Christian life. Temptation, uh, temptation to sin. Go ahead and do it. Everybody's doing it. You don't have to worry about it. No, don't do that because there's, there's a consequence involved. What Satan is doing to us in spiritual warfare is reinterpreting the facts. He tells you, for example, the temptation will satisfy you. What he doesn't tell you that it's only going to satisfy for a very short season and you can become addicted to the things that you're, that you're surrendering to. He doesn't tell you that it's going to mess up your relationship with God. He doesn't tell you that it's going to mess up your relationship perhaps and probably with other people. He's reinterpreting the facts. So when it comes to discouragement, he says, yes, you're talking to yourself, and, and that is a bad thing. You know, and if God were really in your corner, he would love you and he would rescue you, but he's nowhere to be found. Spiritual warfare. That's why if I were to ask you today, what you're discouraged about? You'd have to think, well, well, I'm discouraged. Well, what is it about? And you'd have to think about it. You'd have to get down and, and peel the layers off. In Jude 9, it says, But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, 
did not dare pronounce against him a railing of judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. All through the scripture, we find the spiritual warfare occurring. Dear friends, if you're going through any kind of spiritual vertigo, if you're going through doubt in your mind, if you feel abandoned, my God, you are going through spiritual warfare. And so, now we get to step four. Notice what's happened. I'm beginning to pour out my soul to God. I'm stopping talking, listening to my soul. I'm talking back to my soul. And when I talk back to my soul, I, re, I now realize that it's spiritual warfare going on. Satan is reinterpreting the facts, and those need to be reinterpreted by God. And so now I'm peeling back the layers, and I'm there to ask the question, why? So the fourth step, determine the cause. Look in verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you become disturbed within me? Verse 9. Why have you forgotten me, God? Why is, what about the oppression of my enemy? Verse 11. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And how, how have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. One thing happens. We see here in verse 5, and we see it again in verse 11. The same formula here. Why are you cast down? This is not a hypothetical situation here. He's really wanting to know information. He says, okay, I've got all this other junk out of the way. I really want to know, God, why am I in despair? That could be because of sin in our life. It wasn't the case here, but it could be. It could be that we've gone uh, with our freedom somewhere where we shouldn't go, and we think, well, I've gotten a buy with this for a long, long time, whether it's in my, my, my physical life, my thought life, whatever it may be, and now I'm, I'm sort of caught by this. It could be something physical. I remember going through several years ago, um, over and over again, some discouraged in my own life, and it had to do with something physical. I wasn't, I wasn't simply getting enough sleep. You know, now I'm, I'm, I, I got to wear one of those things, you know, that sucks your face off, you know, at night. So I can uh, call it CPAP. And, uh, you know, everybody else has to leave the house when, you, when you're using it. Somebody in the first hour said, yeah, I sleep in the garage. <laughs> you know, I don't think that was the case. But. And so it could be something physical. Notice he says, my tears have been my meat day and night. My, my food day and night. He, he's not eating right. He's not sleeping right. He says, day and night. This is going on. I can't sleep. It could be something physical. But here, and I believe in most of our cases, it touches, at least touches on the spiritual. And I say that because of two things here. Number one, the contrast, he says, number one, on disturbing and despair and then hope. He says to his soul, hope in God. Have faith in God. That's what he's saying. Trust him. Trust him. And he, he goes back and forth. He says, oh, I'm just so much in despair. Trust him. Hope in him. I recall Psalm 3 um, that uh, you read just a few weeks ago. And in this psalm, just, just as an illustration, David, again, was running from Absalom. And he had a, a difficulty in his life. And this difficulty had to do with two things that he hoped in. Two things in his life that really the Bible talks about glory in. And glory means to, to magnify. It means to enlighten. It means to hope in. 
This is where I place my hope, my glory. Two things he places glory in. Number one, his sons and family. That was his glory. Number two, the adoration and love of his kingdom. The people of his kingdom. Both of those things were taken away from him. His son wanted him dead. And there was no adoration there among the people. They were following Absalom, his son, at this time and not him. Everything that he had hoped in, everything that was precious to him, was taken from him. And that's why in verse 3 it says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. He says, you are my glory. You're the one that I'm hoping in. So he comes back in Psalm 42 as he's struggling back and forth in this, in this area, in, in this era of his life. And he looks at God and he says, God, I, I just, I need to hope in you. I need a glory in you. What's the problem? The problem deep down is that we're hoping in something that does not sustain the soul. We're hoping in the finite things. We're hoping and glorying in our children, in our job, in our career, our ministry, family, money. It could be anything, but it's not God. Now, you're saying to me, now, wait a minute. Pastor, are you telling me I need to love my children less? I need to love my spouse less? Well, here's where I think God has just spoken to me in the last couple of weeks through the Psalms. And the answer to that is emphatically no. The answer is we're supposed to love God more. And how do we do that? Through relationship with him. He says, I'm going to hope in God. I want to get my glory in the Lord. And so we ask ourselves the question, where are you placing your hope? Because as you peel back the layers, and then you say, that's the reason, God. That is the reason right there. My, my children, my job. That's it. That's where it all started. That is the problem. Are you hoping in it? Are you glorying in it rather than the Lord? He said, well, I need to just tear those things down. No, don't tear those things down. You build up the Lord in your life. You cause yourself to love God more than you love those other things, not love those things less, necessarily at least, especially if it's your family, if it's God's will for your life, whatever it may be that's good, you need to stop, keep on loving that, but you love God more. So, what are you hoping in? You say, well, there's got to be a fifth step here, and there is. You remember God's grace. Verse 6 of our passage. Oh, my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember. Notice he says, I remember. Then the Lord says in verse 8, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. His song will be with me. In the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to my rock, why have you forgotten me? And he goes on to say in verse 11 again, the help of my countenance and my God. Now, here, here's a beautiful part about this that, that I missed the first couple of times through. 
at the first of the psalm, he's praying that God's countenance, his appearance would be enlightened to him. God's countenance would be lifted up. Now at the end of it, he's praying that his own countenance will be lifted up. And how? He remembers God's grace. I will be saying this until, I guess, the day I die. But faith stands between the no longer and the not yet. In order to believe God for the future, in order to hope in him and have him as your glory and your hope, you've got to look to the past and say, God, look what you've done for me in the past. See, that's where Satan gets us right there. He reinterprets all that. But the Bible says, for we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. But he doesn't tell us that. He reinterprets all these things. And we look now to the past. David looks to the past, not only in the past of Israel, but the past also of his own life and says, God, look at what you've done for me. Look how you've blessed me, the king of Israel. I'm having all these sons and daughters. And, and God, look at what you've given me. And I, I begin to worship those things in my own life. But boy, they're your gifts. Look what you've done for me in the past. In fact, King Saul chased me. You know, a little history, just a little history. King Saul chased me just like Absalom's chasing me. And you rescued me. What about us? What about your own journey? What's, what's he done for you? Now, I know you're asking this, the, the question. How did David really know that God loved him enough never to abandon him? We'll read on about that in other Psalms. But we have something this morning that David just did not have. And that is we have a time that we can look back at a crucified and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that so crucial? Why? Because we look back at what God has done for us, and we, we, we look at this passage in a new way. As the deer, as the Lord pants after the water brooks, because he is the one who died on the cross, and he said, I thirst. When shall I peer before the Lord? My God, it was him, he that died on the cross who cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was thirsty on the cross that we would never have to thirst again. He was abandoned on the cross that God would never leave us. We have this trustworthy saying, that no matter what we go through, no matter what we feel like in our life in despair and discouragement, when we peel back the layers, the cause is there, the thanksgiving is there, the hope is in him. When shall I come and appear before the Lord? I remember uh, I was not able to tell these kind of stories back when she was... Uh, Going to church here, but now my daughter has moved away. Now, now it's, um, I can tell what I want, right? And uh, when she was about two years old, three years old, we lived back in um, Atlanta. And um, I would uh, lay down with her at night and tell her stories. And, uh, you know, we would sort of kind of look at the ceiling, kind of glance over at one another. 
and I would just sort of get her ready to kind of go to sleep, pray with her. And I'd tell her these stories, you know, and sometimes I'd kind of maybe try to get funny, you know, the three pigs or whatever. I always try to make these stories redemptive. You know, it's hard to tell a story of the three little pigs that one of the pigs gets saved at the end. But that's kind of how I twisted everything. And she thought that was funny. But one night, one night, I'll share some of those stories with you, parents, if you'd like. But anyway, um, one night she, she was scared. So I, I came back in. She'd had a bad dream. And um, I began to talk to her. And again, we were kind of, as a habit, kind of looking at the ceiling. And she, she grabbed my face like this and t- turned it. And she says, no, Daddy, look at me so I can go to sleep. Sometimes that's just what we need, isn't it? God, look at me so I can be at rest. Look at me so I can be at peace. Look, with, look at me, Lord, so I can know that even in the midst of my greatest trial, you are with me victoriously. With their heads bowed and eyes closed before the Lord this morning. Um, I mentioned a few moments ago that we have something that David just did not have. And that is we have the assurance that God is with us through Jesus Christ. Jesus was thirsty on the cross that we would never thirst again. He was abandoned so we would have the promise God will never leave you nor forsake you. But that comes with personally receiving Jesus into your heart. And maybe you're like me several years ago. For four years just wrestled with it. Why? Because Satan was always reinterpreting the facts. Why don't you just start talking back to your soul even right now? Say, I gotta, I'm not going to listen to that stuff anymore. And the fact is, the problem is sin. That Jesus Christ wants to forgive and to give you a whole new lease on life. You can walk out of this room forgiven of everything you've ever done. And that's just a fact. Because Jesus' blood was shed for you. He died for you. And what you must do is ask Christ to come into your heart. Forgive of your sins and to follow him. I want to pray a prayer with you, and if if this is the prayer of your heart, I want to invite you to pray with me. You can do so silently as I pray aloud. Lord God, thank you so much that Jesus thirsts for me, that he felt that abandonment on the cross because of my sin, that I would never have to feel abandoned. I open up my heart. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I place my hope and my trust in you to save me today. Thank you for forgiving me for everything that I've ever done as I follow you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.